Uh, tonight, we're going to see a descriptor of what happens when a community receives God's presence. It's all about relationships. So let's just read from verse 42 to 47 of Acts chapter 2. It says, They devoted, the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When you think about church, what words come to mind? Is it, is it something like this, rows and songs and stages and bands? Or is it a word that I think is more appropriate to what we just read? Is it relationship? Is it commitment? Is it family? Uh, what we're going to do is over the next uh, three weeks, tonight and the next two weeks, we're going to unpack just six verses because Luke gives a summary statement. If you were here last week, we know that the gospel that we saw in Acts 2 was not Peter's full message. It wasn't all the details. It's about six minutes worth of content if you read it. But it's a summary of what Peter probably took maybe half hour, an hour more. We don't know. But Luke summarizes what's the basic content of the Jesus message. And how did Peter explain it? And how do we explain it? Well, what we get in these six powerful verses are these graphic pictures of what Luke, who was not there. Luke wasn't there when the church turns from 120 to 3,120 in a day. But he's interviewed the people. He's done his research. He's heard the stories. And as he describes what the church, the Christian community looked like, he gives pictures that kind of remind us of what a family ought to be like. And so we want to think about over the next three weeks, we as Sunset, a Jesus church, a community on the Sunset Corridor, do we reflect family life together? So tonight, here's what we're going to look. We're going to look at the first two of the verses, verses 42 and 43. And I'm going to spend 95% of the time on verse 42 because it's just, it's just brimming with words that need to be unpacked. It says, they devoted themselves. Devotion. Uh, as Luke gives us the summary, he highlights one word that could summarize all of these six verses. And I want us to think of what it means to be devoted. When you think about this church, I, I don't know many of you like deeply other than seeing you on Sunday night. When you think of this church, would you describe your commitment as devotion? Would you say you are devoted to a group of people who follow Jesus? Well, what is Devotion. Devotion is to hold fast to. It's to continue in. It's to persevere. And so when you think about what it means to follow Jesus with other people, Luke uses, he's looking for a word to describe, okay, what was their community like? And the word he has to use as he's heard the stories is devotion. They held fast to, they continued in, they persevered. It sounds like more. Sounds like more than just we have coffee once a week or 
three times a month or whenever I can fit it into my schedule. When you look at a reflection of the early Jesus movement, what propelled it forward wasn't sound systems and stages and PR campaigns and Twitter and Facebook. It was a group of people. It was a group of people who decided to live differently. And we're looking at them actually to look at ourselves, to consider where are we in our devotion. When I met first, uh, first met Carmen, I was 16, she was 14, and it was 100% physical. She thought I was hot. And I'm not going to blame her. I'm throwing it out there. <laughs> My mom's in the back thinking, oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, no, we... It was physical. You're 16, you're 14, and you're thinking, wow, I would love to have a long-lasting relationship and file taxes together. No, you're thinking, whoa, whoa. It's a, it's a physical attraction. But those of you who've been in a relationship longer than a few months or now years or as we're going into almost three decades of life together, I know I said it. This is horrible. I'm, I'm going to get slapped for that one. But as we think about that, right, Physical attraction is important, and it is part of the chemistry mix. But how many of you have been around long enough to know that it cannot be just physical attraction? There has, you have to go beyond just the quote-unquote spark, because the spark can fade. But what you look at in the church is not just, like, we're excited to be together, and the coffee's right, and the food is right, and the temperature's right, and I feel good. Let me tell you, my friends, there will come times in your following Jesus when it won't feel good and it won't feel easy and it won't feel right and God will feel very far away, but you can still be devoted. So what makes this thing stick, my friends, isn't just chemistry, just like a long-term relationship has to have more than just sparks. It needs to have substance. And so tonight we're asking, how are you in your devotion to Jesus? How are you in your devotion to his family? Are you willing to hold fast to? Are you willing to continue in? Are you willing to persevere when it's not easy and people do offend? Are you are disappointed by the way things go? Are you willing to still stick it out because Jesus has called you? So it's about long-term commitment. So what we see is in this early community, as it gets bigger, and, and notice the progression, just look back at verse 41. Again, we're going to spend most of our time in one verse. If you look back at verse 41, those who accepted the message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42, they devoted themselves. So it's interesting. As the church gets larger, Luke's description is not like the church just gets weaker But ironically, it grows in number, and it grows wide, but it also grows deep. And I pray that will be a reflection of our community life together, that as the church grows in number, that more and more people are experiencing life. I'm thrilled. In the last two weeks, we've had 11 people baptized in our community. 11 people in the last two weeks. The Spirit of God is moving. But what would happen if it were 111 Would we grow in depth as we grow numerically? That's what you see God doing. Now, how did it happen? So here's the plan. Tonight, we're just going to lay the groundwork, and we'll look at four things that you see in the Jesus community that I pray will be reflected in your life. And then over the next two weeks, we're going to unpack the implications 
four things, and then over the next two weeks, how do we live that out? So this is just part one of a three-week kind of mini-series called Devoted, because you see that devotion is the key. Let's just look, verse 42. They devoted themselves to four things. Let's see them. Number one, the apostles' teaching. They, they committed themselves. They were devoted. They persevered in the teaching. Now, write this down. I'm, I'm a believer that when something is important, you ought to write it down or type it in. Okay, write this down. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I'm going to force you to think and write. So get your device, get your pen, and write this down. The most profound thing you're about to hear tonight, I'm going to give it away. All right? And then you're going to have to endure the rest. Okay, sorry. But the f- most profound thing, following Jesus, write this down. Following Jesus means, and this, don't miss this, following Jesus. That's it. That's the most profound thing I have to say. And so you're like, okay, you got to be kidding me. Can I just suggest to you, if you get that one phrase, that following Jesus means following Jesus, then the rest of your Jesus life and your commitment to this community and your, your growth, not only your own personal growth, but your growth and effectiveness to help other people in Jesus' name, will be catastrophic if you remember that following Jesus means what? Exactly. Now we're going to do it in reverse, because if you do it in reverse, it's even all the more powerful. I know how to do this. I'm a professional. Okay? Jesus following means Jesus following. Following Jesus means following Jesus. Jesus following means Jesus following. What am I saying? I'm saying that when this early community got together, they they received the Spirit of God, and they did have feelings. God was at work in powerful ways. We're going to see signs, wonders, the miraculous. But what, they, what did they spend their attention on? They were thinking about what Jesus had said and how that applies to everyday life. So the apostles' teaching isn't some, like, magic book that we have to unearth from some hidden cave. You and I have the apostles' teaching because Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and Acts and all the letters to the churches to the end of the Revelation. And even before that, the, the, the scriptures that are setting up and leading to the coming of Jesus. What the early teachers taught was what Jesus said. So Jesus said, love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. Oh, by the way, the Jesus people are about to get killed for following Jesus. But they had a wrestle with what do we do? Because Jesus said, Love your enemies. So in the face of very real threats to their life, their property, their health, their family, they had to wrestle with how do I respond, not as a citizen of Rome or a Jew in Jerusalem. How do I respond as now a follower of Jesus? Because following Jesus means what? Following Jesus. So are you committed? Are you devoted? Are you willing to persevere in, commit yourself Totally jump in to the way of Jesus. One of the signs of a healthy family is having DNA, some, some, something within that that couple or that group or extended family or small group or missional community or church, something that you all hold together as true and right and you're all going on the same page. So show me a husband and a wife who say, you know what, we don't agree on everything, but we're committed to these values. We're committed to this purpose. We're committed to this pursuit. And there is power when a few people say, we're not going to do this, we're going for that. This is more valuable. 
And the Jesus community early on saw that what Jesus said is right and what he said is worth giving your life to. So they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so, so we just want to value it. I'm just going to throw it out. As a community, how are we doing as being committed to the apostles' teaching? I think personally we're doing okay. Um, I think that as a community we really value the Bible. We value the scriptures. We value, we value learning of, of Jesus' way and trying to figure out not just to hear what he said, but to actually do it. But in case you're thinking that devotion's like something like, I already did that, uh, I'll Greek out on you for a second. This is in the present active. What does that mean? Devoted to, and then apostles teaching, all that. Devoted to is the present active. So the New American Standard Version puts it this way. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. So you never, like, get past this. If you're wondering, like, I'm already there. I'm, no, no, I'm committed. I've, I've read through the Bible, or I went to Bible school. Friend, you and I never arrive in devotion to the apostles' teaching. You never arrive. You grow, and you grow, and you grow, and you grow. So they were tenacious about finding out more about what Jesus said so that they could actually do it. And I think that's where the disconnect is for some of us. We're frustrated in the following of Jesus. And sometimes it's because we've heard a lot. We know a lot. We can quote a lot. But it actually hasn't hit our doing. So we need Bible study and Bible doing. We need both. Not just activism where we're like, we just, we just work, work, work. No, we take the time to study. But the study should lead us to a different way of life. Love your neighbor. Bless those who persecute you. Think of all that Jesus said, which is countercultural to them and to us. And so now we need to think about, are we continually being devoted, committed to, persevering in what Jesus said? I think we're doing okay. And, and on, on, I say well as a church. How are you doing in devotion to Jesus? Again, you have, to, you have to, I'm just setting it up. We'll, we'll tease that out a little more next week. So, so devotion for us, just in case you haven't gotten it already, is an ongoing commitment to learn and live out the scriptures. If you're wondering, like, what is devotion? For us, in English, it's a commitment. Ongoing, learning the scriptures, doing the scriptures, and we never get past this. So if, if we're a church 25 years from now, officially as a community, I mean, we're the people of God, so we'll always be the church. But as a community, if we're still called Sunset, we're meeting in this building, I pray that we haven't even scratched the surface. We're still going for more of Jesus to do more Jesus stuff. Well, that's, that's devotion. Um, let's look at the second one. It's not only devotion, but verse 42 says, to the fellowship, to the fellowship. Now, I grew up in a church that had a building, owned a building and built kind of an extension, and they had a fellowship hall. Any, any of you here, you, you went to church that actually had a hall called the fellowship hall? Can, yeah, okay, we're in group therapy. I know, we're all, we're all like, you know. So it was very interesting. So same people, two different rooms to do two different things. We encounter Jesus in the sanctuary, right? The holy place. You know, it's got better carpet. It, you have to be more reverent. We actually, we, you know, some of the ushers, I remember getting kicked out of the sanctuary because I was wearing shorts to church. 
because that's, that's where God meets his people. But you could do whatever you want in the fellowship hall. Like, you know, you, we could, you could stay in the carpet, whatever. So the place you worship, and then there's the place where you go and eat with other people. Now, I'm not, I'm not mocking our term, but we've taken one part of fellowship, and maybe we've misunderstood the full meaning. Uh, fellowship this is the only time Luke uses the word fellowship here, and it's the word koinonia, and the root of that is the word koinos, which is common. And if you want to think of what fellowship means, it's more than a room, and it's more than an event, and it's more than food, but it is the common sharing. So they were devoted. They're absolutely pursuing, committed to, persevering in teaching, growth in Jesus, and they were committed to the common sharing. What does that mean? Koinonia is a close relationship that involves common sharing. It means that if you choose the way of Jesus somewhere, if you choose to be continually devoted to growth and devotion, it has got to affect absolutely everything you think you own. And I'm going to sound like a socialist for a bit, but here we go, all right? Forget political theory. But the early community in their actions believed that Jesus gave everyone whatever they had And therefore, if I am connected to Jesus and his people, some bit of that is common sharing. They commit themselves devoted to the fellowship. That is if there were people. And so what do you see them doing? Verse 44, all the believers are together and had everything in common. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions. Now, we're going to get to that in the next few weeks. But but I, I just want you to think about this. The outgrowth of their connection to Jesus affected the connection to other people around them. And if we want to be a community that reflects this good news, remember, beginning of Acts 2 is, the good news is here. The Spirit has come. God is using His people. Now here's the message. Come, follow Jesus, because in following Jesus, He will show us the way to live with one another. There's a connection to that. It's not just me and Jesus. It is we and Jesus. So when they were baptized, they were baptized not into just Jesus' name, but to be baptized into Jesus' name is to be baptized into Jesus' family. So Paul picks this up in the First Corinthians. I'll throw it on the screen for you. First Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful who called you into koinonia, fellowship, with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So fellowship is this communion with common sharing. It's a relationship, an ongoing relationship. So let's put it that way. God is faithful. And God is faithful called you and called me into what? An ongoing relationship with common sharing with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Jesus is perfect, yes or no? Not a trick question. One doubt, Jesus is perfect. Nod your head. Yeah. Jesus is perfect. So guess what? You are, if you've chosen to follow Jesus, in koinonia, in lasting, long-term relationship with common sharing. So he has made you, in God's sight, perfect. Now, you and I buff it up all the time. I'll agree. I'm the first to admit it. But in God's sight, the greatness of Jesus is poured out to you and me, and we are participating in ongoing relationship to Jesus. So the early Jesus teachers 
recognize this. And so they said, because Jesus has called us to a united relationship with him. Now, I get to, I don't have to, I get to express this because if I am in common relationship with Jesus, I'm actually also in common relationship with you. So the Bible describes followers of Jesus. Paul says again and again and again, my dear brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, even though culturally, most of the people he's writing to, he has no ethnic background, no economic connection. He has no outward relationship with many of the people he's writing to. But he, he, he terms them not friends, not weekend buddies. He says, brothers and sisters. Now, I'm blessed because my two brothers and my sister all follow Jesus. But let's assume they didn't. Let's assume they didn't. If my brothers and sisters did not follow Jesus, or from a mom and dad who are here tonight did not follow Jesus, and I was, in a very real way, I would have more right, connected relationship with you than with them. Now, we're blood-related, and so there's responsibility and all that. If my dad is a billionaire and, and he dies, I hope he doesn't, I get his cash. He doesn't have a billion, so don't worry. Like, but I'm saying, realistically, if you have someone who's following Jesus... They have more connection. Why? They're in koinonia. They're, they're participating in relationship with Jesus himself, and so are you. What am I saying? I'm saying that something has got to happen. If we're going to be a community that expresses the gospel in all of its fullness, something's going to happen with, have to happen within us where we see ourselves as growing in the fellowship. Not the hall, the meaning, the coffee, the carbohydrates, all that. But we actually see ourselves, little by little, as responsible for one another. Not in a weird, passive-aggressive way. Not in a controlling way. But when my problems become your problems because we are related. When my struggles become your struggles. When my shortcomings become your shortcomings. And together, because Jesus is with us, we see him bring healing and redemption and love and all that. Then there is growth in the church. Now, how are we doing as a community in, in the fellowship? I think we're doing well. There's always room for growth. But I think as a church, as I talk to people who've come a few times and I ask, how did you get here? And what do you think? You know, I just I ask open-ended questions to listen. The number one thing I get about people who come here, and maybe you're one who's come, and I hope it's true for you, is that people sense a love for other people here that is Jesus-centered. And so I am proud of you, and I thank God for you. Now, there's always room. One person, you know, messes it up on occasion. We all do. We have a tough weekend. Nobody's perfect. But I think on the whole, people, when they come, sense a love for one another. And it's seen by the amount of time it takes you to leave. Usually when we end the gathering, a few people got to go. You got kids. You got to get them to sleep. You have work at 4.30 if you're a barista, you know. Uh, but for many of you, you're here for a long while, and it's the best. And you hang out, and you grab a coffee or some tea, and then you laugh, and you talk, and you pray. And then if you go to McMinimins or anyone else around here that's open, you're there, like after the gathering, for more food and hanging out. And I think that's the most beautiful thing. It's the most beautiful thing about this church is that we see ourselves, I think we're on to it. I think we see ourselves as really growing in relationship. And 
We need each other. So that's the fellowship. The third thing we see is the breaking of bread. Verse 42, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. So they ate together. So there is a fellowship aspect in that sense. Part of the family relationship. I don't know your family background, but if you're related to people and you never share a meal with them ever, 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 it's probably a sign that things aren't going so well. Because I think internationally, across cultures, there is something about when people are are in relationship and they're doing well, they eat. Because food is a bridge, isn't it? It's not just carbs. It's not just calories. It's a bridge. And in most places around the world, we're losing it in America, but the church can regain it. Food has become like a means to an end, so we eat it fast and we get it done. But food is about relationships. So some places you go, if you're going to go to someone's house, you're going to be there three, four, five, six hours. And that's the most beautiful thing. In many places where you go, when you go to say yes to a meal, you don't go to like a 30 to 40 minute time block. Because food is about relationship. It's about getting to know one another. And so there's two things going on. One, he's talking about them eating together and actually having a relationship. But secondly, the breaking of bread is also a reference. And most scholars who who look at this realize he's referring as well to what they ate together in terms of communion. So they're, they're, they're common eating together. They're loving one another. wasn't just, you know, burgers and fries or chips and hummus, whatever you're you know, choice may be. It, it was about Jesus being in the middle of that. So they took communion together. How do I know that? 1 Corinthians 10, 6, we'll throw it on the screen. It says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in? This is that koinonia. It's a fellowship, a sharing in the blood of Christ. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body who all share, or for we all share one loaf. There is a oneness. So the koinonia, the fellowship, the the breaking of bread, it's not just about we eat dinner together, but we actually invite Jesus and what he has done to be the center and and the means by which we do all that we do. So they, they were eating together and they were taking the Lord's uh, table together. And that's why we do it each week. Some, some have, have commented, Jose, like, if you take this every week, isn't, gonna, isn't it going to become routine? I think breathing is very routine. Wouldn't you agree? Like every day, I just decide I got I to gotta eat and I got to drink and I got to breathe every day. And you know, reading the Bible, like, I don't know why I do that like every day or every time we get together because, you know, like I already read that Genesis book and all that. And uh, singing, why would we worship Jesus? I mean, I've got, a, I've got like uh, uh, iPhone and, and iTunes, and I listen to worship songs all the time. Why, why should I bother? I say it tongue-in-cheek. But the taking of the bread and the cup is something that's part of our regular rhythm because we believe that participating and eating and drinking around Jesus is what binds us together. So we do it often, and we do it with joy, and we do it together. It's a part of who we are. Because we break bread, we remember that we eat from the one loaf. We drink from the one cup. That is, we need each other. And so we're not just numbers or people in seats. But we matter to God deeply. And Jesus did his work for you. And he did it 
for me. And we matter to one another. We need each other. And so you have what I need. And so we, all of us, rich, poor, young, old, new to Jesus, seasoned in Jesus, we all go to the same table. We grab from the same bread. We grab from the same cup tray. That's our little hyperbole. There's not one cup here, partly because I'm a germaphobe. And if you drink out of the cup, I ain't touching it. Just ask Matt Karsh. He, uh, he, will, he will tell you. Uh, once you. Once your lips touch the cup, it's over for me. But um, anyway, I'm bearing my soul and you're laughing at me. Anyway, <laughs> but we, we drink from the one cup together. And finally, uh, they, they committed themselves to what? End of verse 42, and to prayer. Now, the first three I, I, I spent a bit of time on, but, but I think we're doing well in. Room to grow? Sure. But I think we're doing well in. But this is the one that's been most convicting. What was prayer for these early followers? Let me tell you what it was not. It was not haphazard. It wasn't just like whenever they had a chance, you know, oh, things are t- tight, I'm going to pray. It was systematic. Why? Because they were Jewish. Uh, in Acts 2, everyone who's following Jesus, the 3,000, they're all from the Jewish tradition, from the people of Israel. And in their time, there were set times of rhythmic prayer. So they would go to synagogue or they would go to temple. There was the calendar for the week, the calendar for the year. And so prayer and getting together as the people of God to go before God was not haphazard. It wasn't when it was convenient. It wasn't when it made sense for me. The community called you to pray. And so I think this is an area because for some reason, for many of us, prayer is such a high belief but a low value. Like, would you agree prayer is important? I think every one of us would say, of course prayer is important. But where is it when rubber meets the road in terms of if it's a value, where is it in our actual practice? I think this is an area where I need to grow where we all have room to grow. And this year, we want to focus on more than all of these four. I think this is the one as a community where we're asking the Spirit of God to stretch us and move us because I think many of us believe I don't need to pray with other people. Now, let me use an example. Uh, I got a, a dear friend, Phil Wickham. Ever hear of him? Dear, uh, fr- friend, Phil. Now, Phil has decided to come not to Bridgetown, not to Westside, but to Sunset. Because he loves me and he loves you and he's going to come. Now we're not going to tell anyone else about it, but I'm going to tell you the time and the place. Now let's assume I tweeted out, by the way, all that little section was a lie. But um, I don't know Phil Welcome. He doesn't know me and he's not coming here. But he's like, I can't believe you just did that. Okay, now, I did it on purpose because I was saying that and, and you got excited that Finally, there's a reason to come to this church because Jose knows the Wickham, right? And so he's going to get him to come. There was a bit of an excitement like, okay, I'm going to be invited to the thing. And if it's music, if it's food related, if it's sports related, um, I think we're excited to get together and do it. If I were to advertise that we're going to get together and pray versus we're going to get together and hear Phil Wickham, which one are most of us going to come to? Don't answer that. You already did. Because I think, now, mind you, when we get together to pray, Jesus, the Son of God, has chosen to say, I'm going to be with you. 
Now, in my brain, I believe that, right? I believe that prayer works. But functionally, there's a problem with what I actually believe. Because functionally, I am willing to gather for music and for food and for social things. But to get together to call on God for things that matter is a struggle for me. It's a struggle for most of us. So we want to invite you and push you. I read a great book on prayer. um, And it's called... I want to get the title right in case you're interested in getting it. A Praying Life, Connecting with God in a Distracting World. It's by a guy named Paul Miller. A Praying Life, uh, Connecting with God in a Distracting World. And here's this quote. I'm going to throw it up. I, I would love to throw up the whole chapter, but it would take forever. It really convicted me. He says about writing down prayer requests. Why do we not write things down? And he says the bottom line is we don't write down our prayer requests because we don't take prayer seriously We don't think it, quote-unquote, works. And he was saying, if if your boss said, here's the seven things I want you to do, these are important to me, would you write them down? Yeah. If you're uh, married or in a relationship, and this person said, there are 75 things I need, or 14 things I need, whatever, from the store before going, would you write them down? Yeah. They're important, they matter, you write them down. But we hear prayer requests, and we often don't write them down subliminally. He says, this isn't Bible, but I think Paul's onto something. He says, we actually don't take it all that seriously. We're not sure if it works. If I write it down, and I pray for it, and I pray for it again, and I remember it, and I plead with God, we're not convinced it actually makes any difference. Now, I think many of us, we, we think and we believe that God's going to do what God's going to do no matter what he's going to do. And so why pray fervently? Of course, throw things up to God. But why seek and continue to seek and ask and knock? Why pursue? Why go all out to pray? Why make the effort to gather with other believers to pray? His suggestion is somehow internally, functionally, we don't see the high value of prayer. We don't take it that seriously. And so what we do know is four things that the church was committed to. Yes, they were committed to the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread. Yes, they were committed to the apostles' teaching. Yes, they were committed to the fellowship. They were committed to ongoing prayer, one for another as a community. And many times we're going to see in Acts, when they get together and pray, things are quote-unquote shaken. God moves. Something happens when you and I Take prayer seriously to the point where we commit our time, our effort, our energy. And so we're inviting you this year like never before. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. One hour before every gathering, how do we live this out functionally? Uh, One hour before every gathering, you can come and right in the room next door, right behind this wall, you can get together with other Jesus followers and pray. You can ask God for the good, mostly of other people. I was just a part of it, and there was about seven or eight of us, and we were praying for you. We were praying for the kids' workers. We were praying for the worship leaders. We were praying that God would move in your world. We were praying that your needs would be met. We We were thinking about you. And something happens when you and I value each other enough to put my time investment. Now, I'm not trying to give you a guilt trip and say, if you don't come at five, you're less valuable and less spiritual. No way. But I am saying that God is calling us to devotion. Devotion, ongoing commitment, working it out, persevering it. Is it work? Is it effort? Yeah. Does it sometimes seem fruitless? Yeah. 
but something happens when we get together and pray. I think God does more in here as we pray more out there. I think there's an absolute ratio to it. I think that the more we seek God before things happen, we'll see more of the evidence of God happen because Jesus said, keep on asking, seeking, and knocking. And let me not go overboard, but let me throw this out as a thought. Some of the things you are not experiencing, not receiving from God, not enjoying, are because you have not asked for them. If you do not ask, you will not receive. If you don't seek, you won't find, even for the child of God. So just because Jesus has come and made his residence within you, that's not where it ends. It grows to devotion. And if we devote ourselves to prayer, we're going to find ourselves in the presence of God in ways that are new and fresh and life-giving. Is this something that you're worth digging into? Uh, A takeaway. And then we're almost ready to go. Uh, We've said it before, but now I want to throw out a date. We're inviting you to a day to seek God together. And so we're trying to think of how could we describe it. So we thought, let's call it Seek Day. There you go. Seek Day, March 11th. Uh, is our first for the year together. And so it's 6.30 in the morning, 6.30 to 7.30. If you live close enough where you could do that and then make it to school or work, uh, we're going to invite you to come here. We're going to seek God together. And then at night at 7 o'clock, we're inviting you. If you can, make it. Make it a priority. I'm going to ask you to take a risk. Take a day off. Take a personal day. Don't lie and call in sick. But, you know, like plan ahead. Take a day to seek God fast. Get together with some other people, one or two people. And rather than enjoying a meal, pray together. Go on a walk. Go to an area where we want to see God at work in the city and walk the neighborhood and pray for the good of people. Seek God together. And we've invited, and other churches are going to join us at night. It's really cool. There will probably be a half dozen or more churches joining us. And we're not the answer to the community. But we want to link arms with other followers of Jesus and other churches and seek God that God would move. Let me tell you, he is doing it here. And you say, like, I don't know about all that stuff. I'm going to give you a couple of quick stories, and we're going to actually practice it. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Super Bowl Sunday, we had a gathering. I wanted to cancel it because I thought no one would show up. Fully on me. 75 of you showed up, and uh, a few people were baptized that night. I was gently rebuked by Jesus. But um, at the end, I was praying, and I had this impression in the middle of my prayer, and I said out loud, I just knew this is, this is so specific, this must be God or I'm going crazy. Um, hey, someone here has got a pain from a sports injury in your left shoulder, which is not very generic, right? And I think God would want you to know tonight that he wants to bring healing towards that situation. Well, some of you know the story. I, I, I just did that and said, hey, if that's you, great. We prayed, we ended. A week later, I don't know if you're here tonight. I'm not here to call anyone out. But uh, I had someone who comes to the six o'clock gathering saying, Jose, that was me. I had a sports injury I broke my shoulder, and the pain had come back. And it was a time in my life I was feeling dry and distant from God, and I'd been calling out, but it seems like God wasn't listening. And here was the coolest phrase. He said, I went home in awe that God would speak to me. He wasn't in awe about what happened in the gathering. He was in awe about what God had communicated 
to him. Why seek God together? Because as we seek, God will do what only God will do. Look at verse 43. This is like the summary. When you get the four things right, teaching, fellowship, breaking your bread, and prayer, then, verse 43, everyone was filled with what? Awe. And the many wonders and signs performed by the sent ones of Jesus. The apostles are simply the ones who are sent out by Jesus, commissioned by Jesus. So it's not like the apostles are greater than anyone else. God used them in a unique way. As Acts moves on, it becomes more than just the apostles being used in signs and wonders. It's the people of God who are being used in dramatic ways. And so I'm here to tell you, at that same gathering, I made some other comment about someone who is involved in leadership and felt like they were no longer useful, but that God wanted to know, hang in there, he's going to even take this tough situation and use it, which made absolutely zero sense to me. But, you know, you step out in faith. And the next week, I had a young lady who had been visiting here a couple times, doesn't even go to this church, and said, you know, and she explained the situation she was going through. She's like, that was me. That's exactly what I needed to hear. What am I suggesting? I'm here to suggest that God's presence is a beautiful thing. And as we devote ourselves to God and listening and seeking, He wants to do some things that are above and beyond simply learning a few lessons, writing a few notes, and walking away. He actually wants to do the awe-inspiring in our world. Do we believe it? I'm inviting you to join in. I'm inviting you to get caught up in a sense of devotion this year. Persevere. Press in March 11th. And then on April 3rd, you don't even need to write it down yet, the ladies, we're inviting the ladies for a night in prayer on Good Friday to seek God that on Easter Sunday. They're going to pray for hours. Then on Easter, all across the city, that many, many, many would find life in Jesus. There are going to be many opportunities all throughout the year for us to grow in devotion. And so tonight we get to start.